Okay, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, we're going to be in a lot of places, but last week we started to look at why uh, we worship the way we do, why we do corporate worship the way we do. Uh, and I wanted to be careful as I said that because as I was thinking about it this morning, when I, when I was thinking why do we worship the way we do, well, if we consider what we've talked about in Hebrews the last few weeks, uh, worship isn't just what we do here, right? Um, but we, but we are called to worship, to serve, to exalt God, um, all time. Um, but, but, but we specifically last Sunday, Sunday school lesson in this is to look of why we do it the way we do when we are gathered together. Um, and I, I just want to recap because it is, it'll be helpful for us to move back into where we were, um, why do we corporately, corporately worship the way we do? And there's two main driving principles, two foundational principles for why we worship the way we do, why our order of service looks the way it looks. And the two main principles we spent the majority of our time talking about, the first one last week, the first one was that um, our worship or our order of worship, what we do when we're together, is word-driven. Word driven. The Word of God is the fuel that makes our worship go. It has to be. It has to be that which brings about true worship. And we talked and reminded ourselves um, about the, the flow and rhythm of worship driven, uh, word driven worship, where revelation of God is given by the word, and then we respond to that revelation that's given by the word. But we got to be careful also when we say our worship is word-driven, it's not just the revelation, but it's also the response is driven by the word of God, right? So we don't, we don't read a passage and then say, and now we're going to all uh, get up and do circles and spin around and run out the door and come back. We're going to respond to the Word of God the way God has taught us to respond to the Word of God, right? We don't get to decide what is best because, oh, well, it feels good when I respond this way. Or, right, we can't put our own twist on it, or we can't look back and be like, oh, but I really liked it when I was. When I was growing up, and we used to do it this way, and it just, man, I just really liked that. We we have to we have to say, okay, the revelation comes from the Word of God, and how we respond should also come from the Word of God. Uh, but what's so big about what's what's the most what's so what's the big deal about the Word of God? Well, well, exactly, it's 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 it it's the revelation of God. Um, His Word has power. So much power that it created something out of nothing, right? It created everything. That's how powerful the Word of God is. We know that God spoke the world in existence. We know that by the Word of God, not only is creation done, but new creation, right? Um, Salvation, the new birth, comes from the power of the Word of God. Uh, um, uh, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. The word of cross, 
uh, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Uh, so we have to realize that the, the, the power of God is in the Word of God, uh, and the Word of God is bringing not just uh, new life physically, but new life spiritually. That's that's where the power comes from and where the power goes. Um, the Word of God I don't like to use the phrase it's like our roadmap or it's our instruction manual because it's more than that. But it also, in a sense, does that as well. It gives us instruction on how we ought to live, how we ought to do this. Um, So the word of God is what gives us instruction and direction. And it's the foundation of our lives and how we ought to live. You know, Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We think back to Matthew 7, and Jesus says, if you build your house on a on sand, what happens? The rains come, floods come, washes it away. Just kind of think about that when it comes to worship, too. If our worship isn't word-driven, um, let, right, so let, let's, get, let's, let's get a little controversial here. If it, let's let's say we've created an atmosphere and an environment where it's about what we want, from me all the way down to the the kids, from what the pastor does to what what the congregation desires and wants to what we do. If 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 we make it about worldly earthly things, if something happens in the world that uh, would want to disrupt that. Would we continue in worship if we were doing it for the right reasons, or would we feel more uh, okay to stop doing what we're doing? Do you see what the like? Well, if the world's in there, you're gonna follow. So we could we could think about it in the terms of persecution. That's the easiest one. If we're starting to be persecuted for what we're doing in here. If we're doing it for the right reasons, are we going to stop because we're persecuted? Absolutely not. No. But if we're coming because it feels good and we're doing, you know, it's like, oh, I enjoy it so much and I get a lot from it and I get to visit with my friends. Well, if you're going to get persecuted for doing that, you, you probably will stop. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't need that. But we need corporate worship. Um, and we can look back to 2020. And think about and have that in mind when we think about diseases, yeah. pandemics, right? We, it's like, I heard, I heard the other day that there was a church that finally opened back after over 900 days of not having worship service. And I just would be, I'm, Mike, I'm just curious, what did they, what is their worship service? If they can go three plus years, right, three plus years of saying, we don't need this. Well, you probably didn't, actually. But but anyway, so the the point being is if if it's not if it's not word driven, then it's going to be easily washed away, um, I guess would be the point. Uh, but most of, most importantly, I think 
definitely most importantly, the reason why our word, our worship should be word-driven is because Jesus is the incarnate word, right? Jesus is revealed in the word of God. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word. Um, he is uh, the image of the invisible God. He is the, the brilliance and majesty of who God is. And he is the word of God, and we find him in the word of God. So we definitely want that to be driving what we do when we gather together. Now, what I didn't get to last week was the second main principle, and that's the gospel shape. Now, I, I touched on it, um, but I want to explain it a little bit more. And then when we get done with the gospel shape, which shouldn't take us very long, I want to look at one, two, three, four passages that help us see the Bible specifically says worship this way. Excuse me. Um, so gospel shaped. So our, 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 our corporate worship is word driven, but it's also gospel shaped. And so when I say shaped, I mean it's form. It's um, the way that it looks if you were to look at it or write it down on a piece of paper. And so you're like, well, what's a gospel shape? Is it a square? Is it a circle? That's, that's not what I mean. This is what I mean. When I say gospel shape, these are the four things that shape the gospel. God, okay, and then sin, and then Christ, and then go therefore. Okay, so did we see that? God, sin, you have a problem there. If you've got God and sin in the same in the same shape, in the same room, you've got a problem. So to complete the gospel shape, the gospel form, you need Christ. So God, God, sin, Christ, and then it's then we don't know stop there. Then there is the ultimate response, the go and therefore. Right? So that that's the shape of the gospel. That's actually the shape of the Bible too. When you think about it, what do we get in the first five books mainly? We think about the law, right? The first five books of the Bible. When someone says, what's the first five books of the Bible? It's the law of God. Well, what's being revealed in the law of God? Well, God. God, right? Um, and, and, then, and then for the rest of... Uh, the Old Testament, what's the problem? Sin. Sin. Sin's always a problem. And, but, and then so there's this tension with God revealing himself through his law, and then Israel and mankind unable to keep and to please God by keeping the law. There's this tension of we need resolution. There needs to be resolve. And how does that come? It comes through God giving his son, right? God, sin, Christ. So Christ is is the resolution to that, that tension and that problem. Um, Christ is the apex of the gospel shape. Right. Exactly. And so so then and then we don't just stop there. We're still remember we're still looking at the gospel shape in all of Scripture. 
The beginning is God revealing himself through the law. The rest of the Old Testament looks like man and sin and uh, and not being able to um, keep the law of God. All of them fallen short of the glory of God, right? Christ comes and is revealed in the Gospels. And then everything after that is the how you then live. Right. All the epistles that Paul writes is to churches who have um, trusted in Christ and are now churches um, of God in Christ. And here he's telling them how to live, how to worship, how to behave, how to how to um, take the 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 good news to the world. So the gospel shape that we see in Scripture is God, sin, Christ, and then response, or I like to just say, go therefore, which is the first two words of the Great Commission, right? Um, but here's the cool thing about this, is it's not just the shape of the Bible. You find this in microcosms and little mini stories all throughout Scripture. It's everywhere. I'll give you a few. Let's go to Isaiah 6. Go to Isaiah 6. Now, I want to read a few verses out of this chapter, 1 through 8, and then I want you, and as we're going through it, I want you to look for the gospel shape, right? God, sin, Christ, or, or salvation, and then response, or go therefore. Okay, chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to uh, say to this people. We'll stop there. Could you see it? Yeah. What, where was, where was the, where do we, what do we see about God in Isaiah 6 at the, the beginning of the gospel shape? High and lifted up. High and lifted up. What, right? And, and then what do the angels tell us about God in verse 3? Oh, and he was holy, 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 holy,
everything was took away. Right. That's part of what Christ did for us. Right. Well, well, let's, well, let's not jump there first. Let's let's walk through that. So the first part of the shape is God. So he's high and lifted up. He's on his throne. The whole earth is full of his glory. The angel says, holy, holy, holy. But then what's the next what's the next portion? Sin. Sin right. And what does he say when he is when the revelation of God is before him? What does he say in verse five? Woe, me. Woe is me. That's a that that is the right response to the revelation of God. Woe is me. He doesn't even he, he doesn't stop there. He goes, not only am I a man of unclean lips, I, I dwell amongst a people of an unclean lips. Yeah. And then as as uh, as Mike has pointed out, the, the the gospel shape continues with atonement, redemption, and salvation as as God declares uh, Isaiah clean his guilt taken away his sin atoned for as the uh, the seraphim brings a burning coal and puts it uh to and touches his lips touches his lips and so we, we can't spend a lot of time there but we know we see that this is the cleansing power of god right and it's a foreshadowing of who is to come christ right uh but then he doesn't finish Paul, Isaiah didn't be like, oh, cool, I'm good now. I'm going home. No, he, he, he's like, all right, I'm, I'm ready. I'm yours. Do what you will with me because I'm yours. Right? And so we see the response. We see that gospel shape. All right, Luke 5. We'll look at one more. Okay, so Luke 5, Jesus has uh, began his, uh, his ministry. He's, uh, he's done a few miracles. He's done a little bit of teaching. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. And he's starting to call his first disciples. So Luke 5, we're going to read 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. And look again for the gospel shape. Revelation of God, sin of man, redemption in Christ... And then the response, the go therefore. Okay, five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, 
Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And from there they brought their boats to land and they left everything and followed him. Do you see it? Okay, what? This the, the beginning of this one's a little tricky. What was revealed about God in this one? Catching the fish. We talked was that hmm. we talked about it the other day. I don't remember when it was about God's control over nature. Or was that in, that was our men's meeting? That's when that was. That we were talking about men or God's control over power over nature. Jesus was revealing himself as God in this moment. Right? They're catching nothing. He's like, just toss your toss your nets on the other side. And and not only do we see it in the details of what happened, but even in knowing what we know about how man ought to respond to God, when we see Peter respond the way he does, that also signals to us that Jesus is more than a man. So what's this and I've already touched on it, but what's the sin aspect in this in this story of the gospel shape here? He says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I mean, he can't get any more plain than that. And he would not say that to anyone but God. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. But then we see the redemption in the fact that Christ says, no, you come follow me. He said, you come follow me. You don't deserve to be near me. You're right, Simon Peter. But you come. You come with me. And then what do, what do we have? We have the response. He does. They, 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 uh, they had their, brought their boats to land. They left everything and followed him. So there we go. We see the gospel shape. Now this is all throughout scripture. You'll see it everywhere. Even even the, the New Testament writers will shape their writing in this way, uh, just because it, it, it's it's impossible not to, when we're talking about who God is, who man is, our need for Christ, and need for redemption, and then the, our response to that redemption. It's impossible to 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 not have it. So we have this shape. It's important to us because it is the thing that shapes us. The gospel is what shapes us, right? It's the thing that has affected us that we can be in the presence of God. We can draw near to God. We can worship Him, right? Not just um, we're not we're not uh, we're shaped by what God has done by Christ for our sin and our guilt. So. When we come together, we want to worship in a way that acknowledges these things. Every time we come together, we should be reminded just simply of our order of worship. Let's say I never once say anything. Help me if I don't. But let's just say I never once say anything about the redemption of man's sin uh, by Christ. By just paying attention to what we're doing in our order of service, 
in our worship, you will see the gospel. You see it. And not only that, you hear it in um, the way we go about what we say, what we pray, what we sing. They're all gospel shaped because, hey, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. The gospel, the word of Christ, is power to those who are being saved. We have to have it. We have to have it. Um, yeah, if we ain't got God, we might as well stay home. And you even think about, so the two principles, word-driven and gospel-shaped, but you think about it, even the gospel-shaped is what? Word-driven. So now we're back to the, the whole word-driven aspect. Everything, everything, again, I don't like the whole instruction manual thing because the Bible is more than that, but God tells us how we are to worship. He said it. And when you go against it, you 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 turn out extra crispy, like in a, like a Nadab and Abihu, right? Aaron's sons who yeah. didn't worship the way God told them to. Yeah. Um, he told them to do something. Well, right. So we're we're back again to understanding that everything we do. If you're like, well, why do, we should do this? Well. Let's see if the word says that we can. Or why do we do that? Well, let me show you why we do it by what the word of God says. Um, so with that in mind, turn to 1 Timothy 3. we got about 10 more minutes. And we got a few verses to look at. Uh, and so and I'll just put this, this like heading in your mind. When we come together, we want to read the word. Preach the word, teach the word, pray the word, sing the word. Okay? Everything is formed by the word. 1 Timothy <coughs> chapter 3, beginning in 14. Now, this is just more of a setup. Now that I, now that I think about it, look what he says here. I hope to come to you soon... So he's hoping to come to Timothy, who is an elder pastor of a church, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. All right, that's cool. Paul's giving instruction on how there is, there is a way you ought to behave when you come together as the church. But he says the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So if we're coming together in the household of God and our coming together ought to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, then we ought to be coming together in the truth. OK, uh, so but. Now go up to verse 1 of chapter 4, and let's read these 13 verses. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. So they're leaving the word behind. 
Okay? That's what they're doing. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are sealed, who forbid marriage and require abstinence, abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believed and know the truth. Okay, so Paul, sa- Paul tells Timothy that people in the later days are going to not want to hear the word of God. And even if they say that marriage is forbidden and you can't eat these foods, then they're liars. But here's the crazy thing. We're saying worse than that. Those two things are small compared to what's actually being said and taught in churches today. Um, Verse 4, and here's his uh, comment on being able to eat all things and receiving all things from God. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it was made holy by the word of God. Okay, there you go. Made holy by the word of God and prayer. Verse 5. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine, that's teaching, of good teaching, that you have followed. Have nothing to do with Irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, a life devoted to God. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of the value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the the believers an example in speech and in conduct in love and faith and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Just read the Bible while you're together. Right. He doesn't say, go make sure everyone has quiet time. He says, when you come together, make sure the word of God is being read out loud. That's a big deal. But he doesn't stop there. He says, not only are you to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, but to exhortation and teaching. So explain it. And teach the word of God. Do not neglect the gifts you have which have been given to you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by doing so you will save both yourself and And your hearers, why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Because the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you come into a church and the word of God is watered down and weak, there's no power in that church. And then more than likely, either the the sheep are dying of hunger or they're already dead. And the same for the preacher, as he says. It's it, uh, Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's like if you don't keep doing this, it's like not eating for the rest of your life. All right? So we... 
teach and read the word. That's what we see there. We teach and read the word. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, I'm gonna. This one's more obvious, so I'm gonna read it because we're gonna be running out of time, and then I have one more passage to to read read as well. Second Timothy chapter three, verse starting in verse one. So verse one through nine is the setup, and then ten through seventeen. Actually, it goes all the way through four verse verse five, is how we ought to do corporate worship. Chapter three verse one. But understand this. In the last days, there will come there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. Okay, go all the way down to verse 5. All these bad things, but they'll have the appearance of godliness, being devoted to God, but denying its power. Denying the power. Avoid such people. Um, go down to 10. So he goes through that negative aspect. But he says, you, however, he's talking to Timothy, an elder, a pastor of a church. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, endured yet... From them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. From evil people, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, okay, here's the big difference. Here's how you keep from all that. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they're the power of God to all who believe. They're the power of those who are being saved. Verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. And it, here's what it's good for. It's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may, get, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And you're like, oh, well, that's great. He doesn't stop. For, chapter 4, verse 1. Feel the weight of this next verse. I charge you in the presence of God. Okay, I got it. And of Jesus Christ. Okay. Who is to judge the living and the dead. Okay, Paul. I, I get it. And by his appearing and his kingdom. So he's telling Timothy, you listen to this. Because I'm, I'm telling you this before God. Here's the thing. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Well, from what? The word of God. For the time is coming when people, this is the congregation now, when people will not endure sound teaching. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Well, I don't. He talks about he talks about that sin and all that stuff. I've got to. I can't do that anymore. And he talks. I got to be like this, or I got to act like that way, or he condemns me in this way. Well, he's just if he's preaching the word, then so be it. Take it. Take it. Well, they'll, 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 they'll want to hear people that are easy on the ears. I like the way he speaks. And he's always really happy. He's never negative or down. He never talks about the bad stuff. Oh, we don't want to talk about any of that stuff. I like to feel good when I leave church. I like to feel good. No. There are passages that we study that you need to feel horrible. Because that's what they're there for. But you feel horrible in the hope and the joy that we have in what? The gospel. So we never forget it. We always have it. That's why we sing some songs that are kind of gloomy and, and sad. We, we, we sing about sin. We sing about the, the, the cruelty of the cross. Anyway, I, 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 but they will turn away from listening to the truth, verse 4, and wander off into myths. Got, we got to hold on to that. Okay, the last one, Colossians 3. So that's that's preaching and teaching the word. What about what else do we do when we gather together? Oh, we sing. We sing. Colossians 3, verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. So think corporately, a group of people. He's writing to a church at Colossae. Put on then as God's chosen ones, plural, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So this is how you're to behave when you're together. And ultimately we're when, at all times, but specifically when you're together. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ start start really hanging on to these words. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, the what? The word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he gives us how we're going to do that. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom but what else? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So go back to 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts uh, to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we we read the word, we teach the word, we preach the word, we sing the word, and of course we pray the word as well. Um, so I want to conclude. How do we know we're doing this right? I would say there are three, and we don't have time to pick out all the passages to, to look at this, three things to look for in our worship. If it's word-driven and gospel-shaped, the exaltation of Christ, meaning he's lifted up, not us. The exaltation of Christ. Our desire to 
conform to Christ or to become like Christ, right? We want to be shaped like Christ. And to be shaped like Christ, our worship must be shaped in a gospel form. And then the third one is that after the exaltation and the conformity, there there is this bursting desire to want to express Christ. Whether it might be in what we're doing or when we leave in how we live and what we say in our in our proclamation of Christ and the gospel. So if we're if we're doing this right, we're looking for exaltation of Christ, conformity to Christ, and an expression of Christ from our hearts. Um, but even that has the gospel shape to it. Do you not see that? The exaltation of Christ, the re- revelation of right. Right. The exaltation of Christ is God. The conformity of Christ is 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 working on our sin, and the expression of Christ is that that response that go therefore. All right. That's how we want our worship to be shaped uh, when we're together. Same way with dads. And it should be that way at home too. Thank you, Mike. It should we should worship that way at home. Right, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have graciously given to us your mind in these words. And not just given us these words, but given us your spirit that we might understand your mind. For who knows the mind of God but his spirit. So increase in our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit an understanding of what you have said whether it is tell, tells us what you have done, what you are doing, or what you will do. Teach us, equip us, enable us, enable us uh, by your word that we might love the word, the Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen.